Well, some things uh, never grow stale, do they, when it comes to watching people get baptized? And it's such a beautiful thing. And I always love the fact that this church family celebrates people with applause and just uh, shouts of encouragement and affirmation. So uh, it's not a disrespectful thing to celebrate people. And uh, heaven celebrates, right, when we come home. And so we celebrate when people are baptized. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, happy Family Day weekend to you. Uh, if the church is anything, she is a family. So regardless of what your family experience and expression looks like these days, uh, we are intended um, to be a family. Uh, I remember Rick Warren once said, he responded to a question, what on earth is God doing? Well, God's building a family. And so we are brothers and sisters, those of us who put our saving faith in Christ. We have the same spirit that uh, connects us to our common father. So uh, I hope you, when you gather for worship with the church, there is an experience of coming home and feeling like you're your family. So it's good to see you this morning on this Family Day weekend. And it's getting cold again all of a sudden. And um, there are some from our congregation that are participating in something called the coldest night of the year. And that's planned on September, or sorry, September. I wish it was September. It wouldn't be so cold then. Uh, but Saturday, uh, February the 24th, and you can head over to our website and you can learn a bit more about how you can participate by supporting those very worthwhile ministries, The Refuge, downtown Oshawa, and then also First Light Foundation of Hope. They both do tremendous work as it relates to helping the unsheltered and under-resourced, and so we'd encourage you to, if you're able, to help out in some way. Head over to King Street under Events tab. You'll see the coldest night of the year. Uh, February the 24th, and you can give toward that very worthwhile um, uh, outreach. And um, we have an unsheltered challenge in our community, if you haven't noticed, and it's not just Oshawa, it's all over the place, um, and addiction and mental health. And um, once we have discovered our purpose and we are reconciled to the one true God, he enlists us in a community of helpers and repairers of the world. So we all have a role to play in making the world a better place. And so whatever that looks like, I hope you feel like you're on mission in the world doing something to alleviate suffering and make the world a little bit better. So today, uh, we're starting a new series, uh, 10 weeks actually, called Broken Tablets. And um, if you happen to be new to church, um, we're talking about what is traditionally referred to as the Ten Commandments. And uh, in fact, the Western world is largely predicated or built upon these, what we would consider to be foundational principles. And the moment we say the word commandment, it's probably loaded with all sorts of perhaps negative imagery or associations that come up for you. But these 10, according to our Jewish friends, these 10 sayings are uh, fundamental to a uh, healthy society. And whether it be our grandparents, great-grandparents, or many, 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 many generations ago, including the first century church, including the uh, Hebrew people from, from many, many millennium ago, um, these words are given by God for us. And um, we talk about the Ten Commandments, but there are actually 613 commandments in the Older Testament. We're not going to go through all of those. We're going to go through the Ten and in fact, as Pastor Al mentioned last week, Jesus kind of cut right through the 613 when the religious leaders said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot separate love for God from love for neighbor. And so Christian people, those who are followers of Jesus, ought to be people who are known by their love, both for God and for, for neighbor. And um, you'll find in the structure of the Ten Commandments, the first four are largely God-focused, and the bottom six are largely horizontal that have a lot to do with how we relate with one another. They are incredibly relevant for us, and I'm looking forward to this series. I did a series on the Ten Commandments like 10 years ago, so I'm thinking, I think we're overdue for another one. What do you think? Yeah. Amen to that. Pastor Gary, you and I are excited about it. The rest of the congregation, not so sure, but... Okay, so if you're able, would you stand with me? Because we have a passage to ponder. Again, if you're new to King Street, we like to recite Scripture because there's something about hearing it. There's something about saying it that's very, very positive and reinforcing. So if you're comfortable doing this so that your neighbor hears your wonderful voice, would you join me by reciting Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1, 13b, and verse 14. All right, here we go. Let's do this together. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the commands of God, or what we could refer to as the ways of the Lord, they truly work. The ways of God work. If you apply them to your life, they will provide a lift. A lift to your individual life, a lift to your family, a lift to the community you're part of, a lift to the country that we're building together called Canada. And if the whole world could gather around the ways of God and say an affirming yes to them, it would lift the whole world. God's ways work. And that's why Moses writes these words and he says, do not turn aside from any of the commands. Now, when we say the word command again, it can be filled with some negative associations because I've learned one thing in my life because I'm also an adult. Adults don't like to be told what to do. Have you noticed that? So the moment you hear the word command, you feel like somebody's telling me what to do. Now, the way God operates fundamentally to who he is is that he does give directives. He does give imperatives. He does provide invitations. Because he makes space for us. He makes space for us as it pertains to the exercise of our free will. We get to choose. This is what it means for us to be human. And when you use your freedom over an extended period of time, you get the flywheel of your life moving in a certain direction. If you make certain choices that take you another direction, the flywheel will take you in a different direction. It's the way life goes. We are the accumulation of our decisions for the most part. There are things you and I didn't get to decide, what country we'd be born in, who our parents would be. There are things that happen to us, of course. But much of life is in the domain of our choices. There are little ones. There are medium-sized ones. 
And there are these really life-transforming choices that we make. And so God speaks through Moses, and he says, here, I'm giving you 10 commandments. I'm giving you 10 imperatives, 10 directions. Um, They're not just suggestions. They are commandments. They are directives for us. And when we say yes to them, as I mentioned, there is a lift that happens in our lives. So here's the first commandment or the first saying. God spoke all these words. This is from Exodus chapter 20. You will find the Ten Commandments or the Ten Sayings in Exodus chapter 20. You'll also find them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus is obviously chronicling the deliverance of the Hebrew people out of the cruel clutches of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons, you could call it. And so it is repeated, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so the word, uh, the first commandment or the first saying is, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. And he says this at the very beginning of the commandments, which is very, very important. Who brought you out of Egypt? I want to remind you who I am is what God's saying. Before I give you all these imperatives and directives, it's really important that you understand who I am and what I've done. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of of slavery. Wow, okay. Out of the land of slavery. This is the Lord, the God who delivers people and brings them into a place of freedom. And so the commandments are not to enslave us into some sort of religious, um, kind of shoehorning us into some religious model of some sort, but it's actually an invitation not to enslave us, but to keep us free. The Ten Commandments are intended to guard our freedom, not to make us slaves. Out of the land of slavery. And then he says, here's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods, lowercase g, before me. No other gods. I think it's important that we understand that um, there are no other gods. There is the one true God of heaven and earth. He reveals himself to us through Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is a triunity to the one God, but we do not worship three gods as the Christian church. Um, Our Muslim friends think we do. We don't. Uh, We worship the one true God, but he is a triunity. And it's been said before that if you try to figure that out, you lose your mind. If you deny it, you might lose your soul. And so there's something very, very powerful about the beautiful God who is a triunity. And this is what I love the most. I've said this many, many times at King Street. It's one of my favorite teachings in Scripture. The reason I love this idea of the Trinitarian God is because at the center of the universe is a relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is having an inner conversation, if you want to say. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. There is a plural form to the word Elohim, the name for God. And so in Hebrew, there's this little hint at the plurality within the one true God, right? And so this is the God of Israel. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one who says, I brought you out of the land of slavery. So in Israel's history, Moses put some protective fences around. So when we hear slavery, 
I think it's important on this Black History Month that we're a part of. February in Canada is, is a Black History Month where we celebrate our black brothers and sisters. And uh, when you hear the word slavery, when I hear the word slavery, I am somewhat an observer, right? I'm not Jewish, though I care deeply about the Jewish people. And I am not part of the black community, though I have wonderful black brothers and sisters. I've never been enslaved. Never. Um, it's, a, it's a poor correlation to talk about employment and slavery as being somewhat, well, I have a job. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not the same thing. When you've been enslaved, you've been treated like a commodity. And uh, I, I was encouraged. In the last 10 days or so, our Ontario government decided to adopt black history as part of the elementary curriculum. It's a good thing. Holocaust is part of it. There are some aspects of our story that we need to remember so that we do not repeat. And so to our black brothers and sisters today, we are a multiracial community, and uh, we want to remember so that we never repeat. And so there is dignity for the entire human family. It doesn't matter what the... Uh, color of our skin is, but we have a story. The Jewish people had a story and have a story, and we've been telling that the last little while, and our black brothers and sisters have a story, and we need to uh, honor and remember so we don't repeat. Amen to that? Amen. Amen to that. Okay, wonderful. That's important, and that's very helpful for us as we think about this passage. Humans don't always treat one another with proper dignity and respect. And so here's the big question today for us. Why a series on the Ten Commandments? Well, here's why, okay? It's a little bit lighthearted, but it's, I think it's important. So these researchers, George Gallup and Jim Castelli from 2009, uh, they put the problem squarely out there on why we should have a conversation today about the Ten Commandments. Here it is. So, quote, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. That's interesting. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. And let's not be too hard on our American friends, right? As the U.S. goes, unfortunately, sometimes we go too. And so we may be numbered among them. Um, they become a nation of biblical illiterates. Well, how bad is it, the authors write? Well, ready? Researchers tell us that it's worse than could be imagined. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Some of you are saying, yeah, so? <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, those identified as evangelical Christians did better by 1%. A George Barna poll indicated that at least 12%, ready for this one? At least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> Gets better. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. <laughs> a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. <laughs> we are in big trouble, friends. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from Barna Research Group, here we go, ready? 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Do you believe that? And I'm not going to do a test here today, but could you get more than five? All right. No tests today. 
In the remaining time we have left, I usually always bring you three big ideas, so let's go. Here's the first one. The term commandment is 100% loaded. It's a loaded term for us. And um, I, I would assume today that for us in this room, there would be a little bit of that. Again, I'm an adult. Don't tell me what to do. So a commandment feels negative. It feels that way to us. But what if I was to suggest to you today that the commandments are intended to be incredibly protective? They're to be like um, this covering for us. They're to keep us out of the ditches of life. And so they're not given in order to be autocratically delivered from the king of the universe because he has a control issue. He actually loves his good creation, and he wants the absolute best for them, and he wants them to, to be so different from the neighboring nations, and we'll look at that in just a moment, that he gives them these 10 sayings. So this is the truth this morning, okay? I've got three thoughts here that are going to come under this first point. See, whenever I say I have three points, sometimes I have three or four subpoints under each point. So just in case you say this won't be too long, well, don't get too excited. We'll be here for a little while. The first one is this. God, God didn't give the commandments to lead Israel into slavery, but because he led them out of slavery. The commandments are not whips for our backs, but fences with gates for our own protection. I like that. Fences with gates. He puts a fence around us and says, as long as you stay here, you're going to keep yourself in many ways safe. However, I put a gate here. You can come and go as you please. You don't have to keep these commandments. You can choose to go against them if you want. But as you go out of the fenced area, you're in the wild unknown. And anything can happen out there. So I like that. Fences with gates. All right, number two. God didn't give the commandments to make Israel his people, but because they were his people. And the commands were not about earning anything, but about receiving something. Right? It wasn't about if you keep these, then guess what? My love for you will be even that much more extravagant. Whether you keep or you break the Ten Commandments or the Ten Sayings, you are forever in the crosshairs of God's extravagant love. So God didn't give the commandments in order to make Israel his people, but because they were his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, these words will not be on the screen for you, but let me read them for you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. This is Moses again. See, he says, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Moses was doing what God instructed him to do so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom. This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. I love that. He says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So Moses is saying, this instruction that I'm giving you today, if you say yes to it and you build it into the fabric of your life, neighboring nations will look at you and say, look at their wisdom. Look what they were able to build. And by the way, that land that Moses is talking about is the land of Israel. This was the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look what they have built there since 19, what is it, 1948. 
If you've ever been to Israel, it is a beautiful beacon, shining light. In 75 years or something, they have built something fantastic. And so the wisdom that God has given through the Mosaic instruction is relevant for us today. It is a bad Christian theology to discount the Older Testament. It is a orthodox Christian theology to understand that the Older Testament is the inspired word of God. And when we understand it well, it makes the New Testament become that much more illuminating to us. So we do well, even though we may be intimidated by it, to do a deep dive into the Older Testament, into the, uh, the Torah, which means instruction, right? All right, number three, God didn't give the commandments to make us religious but to lead us into a beautiful relational life with him and others. I love that. He's inviting us in. And in fact, the commandments are a revelation of his character. You know, when we we read about, um, you know, do not steal, why is that? Because God is generous and he gives us everything we need. Do not commit adultery. Why is that? Why are we called to be faithful? Because God is faithful, right? Why are we told to not lie? Because God is truth, right? There's always a precept, a principle, in the person of God. And so the instruction points us to the God who is revealed through the commandments, through the saying. So as I've already mentioned, the first four commandments are about how we approach God, and the last six commandments are about how we live in good relationship with neighbor. So the term commandment is a loaded one, but it's a good one. Amen to that? All right, number two, the commandments have context and include a compelling invitation for us. So when we understand the contextual environment of the Hebrew people at Mount Sinai, this is where they receive the Ten Commandments, the Ten Sayings, we will become that much more aware of the beauty and the goodness of the commands or the Ten Sayings. God made a promise to Abram, right? The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, right? The promised land that they occupy today. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Have the Jewish people been a blessing to the world? You better believe it. Do you know that something like 40% of all of the Nobel Peace Prizes have been awarded to Jewish people? And that's not because they have insider power. It's because they're brilliant and creative and innovative. They have made the world a better place. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. It's a dangerous thing to curse God's people. And he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we know that that's a prophetic announcement about Messiah who would come and bless the whole world. But it is true that the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still a blessing to the world in so many ways. What was the context to the ancient world when we hear these words? Here's the context, ready? The neighboring nations were the Egyptians, the Canaanites. All the neighboring nations worshipped a plethora of deities. Well, what were these deities like? Well, their adorations of the gods El, Baal, Anath, Asherah, Mot, Reshap, Shulman. They invited a lifestyle that made space for capital crimes, sexual deviance, disregard for children, children were a commodity, and an anything goes approach to morality. 
Wow. Anything, anything goes approach to morality. In the book of Judges, that crept into the life of the Hebrew people. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And in Canada and the Western world in the 21st century, it's dangerous to be somebody who says, no, there is a right and there is a wrong. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes because adults don't like to be told what to do. And God says, I know what's best for you because I made you. I designed you. Imagine an automaker not knowing how to operate a car they made well. You know, we have a Honda CRV. Imagine the owner's manual is all messed up and it's just like it's, it's just not helping me operate the vehicle well. The automaker made the vehicle. They know every part of that car, that vehicle. God made us. He knows how we flourish. He knows how we thrive. And so when we sit back and we put ourselves above the text and we critique it and we scrutinize it and we say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. We can have good dialogue about the Bible. Let's do it. But when we say, ah, you know what? That was from another day. That was from another world. I don't think that has any relevance for me today. I'm a modern man. We're sophisticated. I've got a few advanced degrees. I know what's going on. God says, oh, my friend, where were you when I created the cosmos? Right? Where were you when I put the constellations in play? Tell me all about it, God says. And at some point along the way, he allows us to bump up against our own limitations and our own foolishness, and we lift our eyes to the heavens, and we say, oh, God, have mercy on me. You know what's best. And so I say yes in advance to everything that you would have me say and do and become. And so we say no. The neighboring nations, sacred prostitution, child sacrifices, they were widespread. And the Hebrew people, God said, no, 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 no. Every human life is dignified. And there is, even in the Torah, there are instructions around slavery. And we go, what? What? But if you look at it, there were protective fences in the ancient culture that they were a part of because they were moving progressively to offering dignity to human beings, even though they were in the world they were a part of. Didn't make slavery right by any means, but there were protective fences around it. And they did their best. And then we see in the New Testament, that same thing is in play in the book of Philemon. And so God always advances and progresses his people if we'll say yes to his ways and we'll differentiate ourselves from the world around us. So a compelling invitation. The first commandment is an invitation for a relationship with the one true God. He says, no other gods before me or no other gods besides me. And so later in the New Testament, Jesus would invite the first century church to remember their first love, right? First and primary, God in his rightful place. And so a relationship requires self-disclosure if we're going to connect with someone else. God is doing that through the 10 sayings. He's helping us understand who he is and what's very important to him. All right, here's our last thought before we transition to another part of our gathering. Number three, our response to the commandments comes with built-in consequences. If we say yes, there are consequences. We call them blessings. If we say no, there are consequences. The scriptures refer to them as curses. They're still in play today. When you and I go against the ways of God, sometimes what can happen is we think that all of a sudden the consequences that are incredibly negative, it's like God's judging me. 
Uh, one, of, one of my favorite uh, writers, Christian writer, uh, Greg Boyd, he talks about how sin has within it its inherent reward. <laughs> so if you want to disobey and you want to go your own way, it won't be God's judgment necessarily. It'll be going down this way is the natural order of things. Going down this way is the natural order of things. So God says through Moses, I hold before you today life and death. Choose life. But if you want death, you can choose it. And life in the 21st century in the Western world is incredibly complicated, and sometimes it requires nuance. I get it. If we're going to love our neighbor well these days, we can't be bulls in china shops, if you know what I mean. We need to love people, and we need to be sensitive to people, but we need to be firmly anchored to the truth, or else we run the risk of drifting away, right? If you're not anchored to anything, if you're just married to the culture, what will culture give you two years from now, ten years from now? Well, we know that. There's seismic changes happening in culture. Are we just going to go with the flow? Or are we going to say, no, no, you know what? Being faithful to your wife or being faithful to your husband is important. It's time-tested and true. I'm going to choose that way. Telling the truth? I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to take what's not mine. I'm going to respect my neighbor's property. If I borrow something, what will I do? I'll return it. And by the way, stealing is not just material things. I'm not going to take someone's reputation from them by slandering them and gossiping against them, right? I'm not going to steal their reputation. I'm going to speak well of people. So I'm really looking forward to the series again. We're overdue for this, especially in the day we're living in. So our response to the commandments come with built-in consequences, blessings and curses. If you read Deuteronomy, maybe this is homework, okay? Homework assignment. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28, just one chapter of the Bible when you go home today. You'll see the blessings and you'll see the curses. They're there. They're still in play for us today. And remember this idea of the lift. The lift comes when we say yes to God's ways. Um, Now, here's another important principle for us to remember. You and I, we become what we worship and we are what we repeatedly do. Can I say that one more time? We become what we worship and we are what we repeatedly do. The reason God invites us to worship him is because, number one, he is worthy of it. He is ultimate reality. And when we posture our hearts around him, we actually end up becoming more like him. It's a beautiful thing. And so God invites us to come worship him in spirit and truth. These are the words of Jesus, right? So if you don't believe my idea, let me just read scripture. Psalm 115. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. Remember, there's only one true God. The lowercase gods don't exist. He says, their idols are made of gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. They have feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Why? Because there is no life in them. Those who make them will be like them right? We are what we worship or we become what we worship. Those who make them will be like them. Remember somebody said to me once, whatever you put at the center of your life and you chase it with veracity, you will begin to resemble it in some way. And that's really Psalm 115. And we live in a material culture where many of us are on a chase to acquire more, right? And something happens in us that's intangible, but we become, we become hardened when we go after things that you can touch, When we go after God, his spirit comes and makes us so qualitatively different. 
And so I hold out weekly, I have this huge privilege to hold out a weekly invitation to say, put the one true God and his Messiah, Jesus, at the very center of your life. And as Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What is that? All those things, the things we worry about, food and clothing and making sure we have enough. He says, I will give you enough. I will lift you. Don't worry about that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And by the way, righteousness is not doing all the right things, though it's always a good idea to do the next right thing. Righteousness is in right relationship with others. Seek first his kingdom. Kingdom is rule and reign. Lord, I don't want to be the king of my castle. I let you lead. I follow. That's the posture of my heart. And then I want to be somebody who is righteous. I'm in right relationship with other people. The best I can, the words of the Apostle Paul, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with everyone. That's what it means to follow the way of Jesus. So seek first. Go after, desire, seek before, before all else, right? The one true God should be first and primary. And that's who we are, who we are seeking today. All right, let me read just one little, there's a handful of scripture verses. I read this yesterday, and uh, this author is becoming one of my favorites really fast. And if you're interested, I'll share his name with you. Should I tell you now? Yeah, why not? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he's an amazing writer. Uh, He's passed away, but um, he was writing about some things that I felt to share with you. So here's a few verses. When it comes to the invitation of God, he invites us to return to him. I don't know who needs to hear this today. Maybe we all do, but let me read this. Hosea 14, verse 2. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have fallen because of your sin. Isaiah 44, 22. I wipe away your sins like a cloud, your transgressions like mist. Return to me, for I redeem you. Jeremiah 3, 14. Turn back, he says. Rebellious children, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, it is not my desire that the wicked shall die, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways that you may not die, O house of Israel. And then Malachi 3, verse 7. From the very days of your fathers, you have turned away from my laws and have not observed them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, said the Lord of hosts. And then finally, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the first three verses. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and they will, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. He's speaking to the Hebrew people. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. This is what God does. When we return, he comes to us and restores us. The story of the prodigal son, what does he do? He returns. He was lost. He becomes found. He just returns. What does the father do? Oh, he runs to meet him. And he's just embracing him and he's kissing him and he's just saying, you're my boy. You're not a slave. You're a son put a signet ring on his finger, get a robe, kill the fattened calf. We are going to party tonight. My lost boy was gone and far from home. He's returned home. 
That's repentance. We're in the Lent season. It's a turning of our hearts to God. I hope you're going to consider doing something during the Lenten season that would posture your heart as you turn towards, towards the Lord. All right, so this is the first commandment. Have no other gods before or besides me. First and primary, that's who God is. And he says, make sure there's nothing else in front of me. Amen to that? All right, Lord Jesus, thank you again today that you always hear us when we pray. And we thank you, God, that we are part of something that's rich and historical and beautiful. And Lord, we are all learning in this room what it means for us to say yes to your primacy in our lives. Sometimes we get it right and sometimes not so much. Thank you for the grace and the patience of God that comes alongside us and nudges us gently and graciously towards the center again where we will meet you and find you. Lord, whoever today needs to return in a part of their life, may that be so. All of us, Lord, have some turning to do. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to adopt a lifestyle of continual, continual returning to God. And when the gravitational pull of sin and our own sense of superiority gets the best of us, may you have mercy and grace upon us, and may you help us, Lord, to order our lives with you at the very center. And we know, God, we can count on it, that there will come a lift along the way. And we pray this in the wonderful name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.